Well, the midterm elections are tomorrow, and you know what that means, and neither do I. But with the polls fluctuating all over the place and the actual results unknowable, it's important for us to make ignorant predictions that reflect nothing but our own biases and are generally manufactured with the nefarious intention of controlling the actions of people too stupid to realize we have no idea what we're talking about. I'm not sure why this is important, but it must be because everyone on TV is doing it, so let's get started. In order to bring you the very best useless and unfounded predictions out there, we at The Daily Wire have canvassed some of the most expert experts in predicting coming events that are impossible to predict. Crack CNN amalgamation of human body parts Jim Acosta told us, quote, the important thing this election day is that everyone should be looking at me because I'm Jim Acosta. To that end, I will be shouting, insulting, and meaningless questions at public officials and then making outrageous accusations into camera with a very serious face. I predict everyone everywhere will be looking at me then because I'm Jim Acosta, unquote. Moving to NBC, once respected journalist Chuck Todd responded to our questions by running around in circles, screaming in a high-pitched voice while waving his hands wildly around in the air. Not sure what that means, but it's pretty typical for NBC, so maybe we shouldn't be overly concerned. Finally, we contacted genius pollster Nate Silver, who says there is a 15% chance that he'll have to explain why his 85% chance was 79% accurate, even though it was 96% wrong, so I'll have at least a 67% chance of continuing to pick up a paycheck, even though he's 100% in the dark, just like everyone else. So there you have it. We hope these completely disposable predictions will cause you to do something stupid that will cost your candidate the election. Unless we agree with you, and then the reverse. Whatever. We're just filling time till you vote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we are back from the Clavenless weekend. I hope you made it through. I hope you were listening to Another Kingdom. And don't miss the next chapter of Another Kingdom performed by the lovely and talented uh, Michael Knowles. Today, subscribers get exclusive access to episode six. It's called He Bought Me. If you're not a subscriber, never fear. You can listen to the entire episode on Friday via YouTube and SoundCloud. SoundCloud, but only subscribers get to watch the full show with all the visual bells and whistles, which are really beautiful. It's worth it's worth subscribing just to that. But if you head over to dailywire.com and subscribe, you can watch the full first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. Plus, what else? You can uh, be on the mailbag. You can watch the whole show stream to you live right off the site. And of course, if you subscribe for a lousy hundred bucks, you get the entire year, the leftist tears tumbler. I hope we're going to need that uh, upcoming. Meanwhile, you know what else is upcoming is Veterans Day. And on Veterans Day, what do you want to do? You want to drink coffee from Black Rifle Coffee. Because Black Rifle Coffee is the only company out there that gives a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes. This is uh, Black Rifle Coffee's roast to order, guaranteeing you fresh, delicious coffee with every order. Black Rifle's Coffee Club makes things easy. Just pick your blend and the amount you want, and Black Rifle ships your coffee right to your door every month hassle-free. This is a coffee company that was formed by veterans. They will actually rappel down through your roof uh, and deliver the coffee there. I'm just making that part up, but these are real guys, they're great guys, and their coffee is absolutely excellent. It really is good. 
This Veterans Day, get your coffee from Black Rifle Coffee and contribute to a company that's actually making a difference in the veteran community. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Clavin. You can look all those left-wing, liberal, fashy, wishy-washy coffee companies in the eye and say, how do you spell Clavin so I can get my coffee at Black Rifle Coffee. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. That'll get you a 15% discount. So, you know, the whole thing about this election, right, is now there's nothing to talk about except this election because the entire fate of the universe hangs in the balance and we don't know anything. We won't know anything until the vote comes in. So I'm just going to sit here for 45 minutes and stare into the camera. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. But that's the thing. Everybody's talking about what they think will happen. What do I think will happen? Eh, my gut, you know, which is all it is. It's my gut is not not too happy right this moment. I'm sort of suspecting we're going to lose the House, hopefully hold on to the Senate. But as I said before, that's just the map playing itself out because a lot of these suburban districts are going to go for uh, con- uh, Democrat congressmen, but the red states will go for their Senate people. So it just means that the whole Trump, uh, in terms of Trump and his personality and the resistance, it's all been kind of a wash. I mean, obviously, if the Democrats take the House, they'll parade around as if they've done something amazing, but that'll just be kind of typical. It is typical for the guy in power, for the party in power to lose seats. But, you know, the thing is, we just don't know. We don't know what, what could really happen. The thing that could happen that would change everything is at the last minute, there are a lot of all the Republicans are polling under Donald Trump which means probably that there are a lot of people who support Donald Trump but are looking at the, their local Republicans saying, eh, I don't know. Hopefully those people are going to figure out that whatever they vote for, whether the Democrat is a veteran, whether he's a nice person, whether he sounds like a moderate, they are all going to vote with Nancy Pelosi. There's no point. That's all they are. They're just another tick for Nancy Pelosi. Not one of them is going to break away. Not one of them is going to go across the aisle and compromise. You might as well vote for the Republican, even if you don't like them that much. If they do that, then things could get very surprising. The thing about this is, you know, because it's a two-party system and because one of our parties has lost its mind, there's there's always a way in which everybody's saying this election is about Donald Trump, but it's also about Barack Obama. And if you ever watch uh, Don Lemon, just for the jokes, just if you want to see what happens when a guy who has had, uh, you know, a uh, brain surgery goes on TV... Uh, If you ever watch Don Lemon, one of the things you'll notice he does is he'll never allow people to talk about Barack Obama. And he'll never allow people to talk about anybody else doing anything wrong and say, well, he's not the president. He's not the president. So basically, it's only the president. You can't compare him to anything. But of course, nobody operates in a vacuum. People operate in this country as opposed to the other party. The story that we've been hearing these last two years, it's been an amazing story. These have been an amazing uh, political two years. In fact, so amazing that I don't think anybody can actually rise up yet into helicopter mode and get a, a picture of the full extent of what's happening. But this story is not just a tale of Donald Trump. It is a tale of Barack Obama and Donald Trump. It is a tale of what we went through for eight years, what the media didn't report, how it reported Obama, and how they're reporting Donald Trump. If, if the media treated everybody the way they treated Donald Trump, I'd say fine. We'd all say fine. That's the way the media is. They're t- attack dogs. They should attack. But they don't attack. They don't attack the left. They only attack the right. And when they get caught out and called out on Donald Trump, they start to get crazy. But these are two separate visions of what America is and how reality works. It's beyond just what America should be. It's how reality works. I want to go back to Obama's famous Berlin speech that he made when he was still Senator Barack Obama before he was elected president. 
And I'm not going to play any of it because I just want to remember one line in it. Remember if he got up and he said, fellow citizens of the world, fellow citizens of the world. And he said, people of the world, look at Berlin where a wall came down, a continent came together, and history proved that there is no challenge too great for a world that stands as one. That could kind of summarize the Obama vision, the Obama vision that we had for eight years, that the press told us was great, that everybody said was the right thing to do, that everybody said was, and it sounds good, a world that stands as one. Who wouldn't want a world that stands as one against evil? One little problem, never happened. It did not happen. The Berlin Wall and the Soviet Union did not come down because the world stood as one. It came down because Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and Pope John Paul II and a small cadre of conservatives who were in the minority, as conservatives were always in the minority, stood against the world. The world will always want things to go on the way they're going on because it's safe. They just think this is the way it is. Ronald Reagan famously said, we are going to win the Cold War. And George Shultz, who was supposed to be the great foreign policy expert, uh, ultimately Secretary of State, said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And Ronald Reagan said, I mean, we win, they lose. That was not the world coming together. Ever since the 60s, ever since the 60s, there was a time when America stood together against Soviet communism. But after Kennedy died and after the 60s happened and the uh, left radicalized, they were not standing against the Soviet Union. There were many people who were saying, this is the future, I've seen the future and it works. Ronald Reagan really was standing alone. When he said evil empire, You can ju- if you can imagine what they would do today, that's what they did then. When Ronald Reagan called the Soviet Union an evil empire, the press went nuts. Oh my God, he's a warmonger, he's gonna blow us all up, he's gonna kill us all. The, the wall did not, I'm just talking about facts here, okay? The wall did not came, come down because the people stood as one. It came down because people that the press and the left despised stood together and brought the wall down. When Ronald Reagan walked out of the Iceland uh, you know, treaty and he said, I'm not going to deal with you, I'm not going to get rid of Star Wars, the press went nuts. Oh, the warmongering. Oh, he's going to kill us all. Even today, even today, they credit Gorbachev who did everything he could, everything he could to keep the Soviet Union alive. They credit him with bringing down the Soviet Union. It just didn't happen. I was there. It did not happen that way. Ronald Reagan, just as as Giuliani, Rudolf Giuliani was under attack every day when he cleaned up New York and made it one of the great cities in the world, uh, Ronald Reagan was under attack every day when he brought down the wall. So Obama's vision was false. It was a lie. It It was a kind of rosy vague idea of the way things work. And because of that, and because of that, we saw in our foreign policy, things went bad. We saw the caliphate of ISIS go nuts, right? We saw how they took over so much space in the world. By mid-2014, I'm reading this, the group controlled, the ISIS controlled a taxable population of some seven or eight million people. That was the caliphate. That's the size of New York, seven or eight million people. And that meant when young men were called to join the ISIS caliphate, they saw victory. They saw something there. You know, young men want to be with the winners. They want to fight on the on the side that's going to come up on top that represents their values. They had oil fields and refineries, vast grain stores, lucrative smuggling routes, vast stockpiles of arms and ammunition that disappeared under Donald Trump because he had a different attitude. Now, let's go back to Trump in Poland. Remember, he made that wonderful, I thought it was a terrific speech in Poland in 2017. 
Here's his quote, okay? Not the world stood together as one and the wall magically melted because like the Care Bears. Remember the Care Bears? They would just care and the caring would radiate out of their center. That brought down the Berlin Wall. Well, no. So here's Trump in Poland. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? Okay, that's not so nice sounding. That doesn't sound like the Care Bears. That sounds mean. It sounds tough. You know, the thing is, we're a pluralist society. That means we disagree, hopefully, in a civilized way. That means we don't chase our politicians out of restaurants because we don't like what they stand for. It means we don't show up on college campuses and shout down speakers because we don't agree with them. It means we're pluralist. We have different ideas, and we get together and talk about those ideas, and we compromise, and we try to be civil to each other even though we, don't, we may not even like each other. That's what a pluralist society is. But pluralist societies cannot stand if they are tolerant of intolerance. What does intolerance mean? It means not listening to other people. It means only one idea is, is fair, only one idea. The only idea we have to protect is our pluralism, right? We don't have to protect, and, and our freedom. We don't have to protect ideas that will destroy freedom and pluralism. That is what's called the tolerance. Lawyers call that the tolerance trap. It is the tolerance of intolerance, right? So Trump is right. We have to stand. People do not want other people to be free. They want to control them. They want to tell them what to do. We have to stand for freedom and we have to fight it back. And you know, this is what causes so much panic on the left. This is what causes all these ideas that everything is going to fall apart is that tough talk, that sound that Trump makes that, oh, and it did with Reagan, you know, this, and it did with Bush, George W. Bush, when he stood up against the Islamists. When you say, no, not every idea is acceptable. The ideas that the thought that stops thought is not acceptable, right? That's when people get crazy. I want you to listen for just a minute to Bill Maher telling people to get out and vote and what his vision of it is of this election, which is between Republicans and Democrats as ever. Getting this moment wrong and not participating will be just like your student loan debt. It will haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Getting this moment wrong, you can say goodbye to reproductive rights, to legalize pot, possibly to gay marriage, and definitely to what's left of the environment. If Trump wins, he will cast it as a complete endorsement of his most undemocratic behavior. If you're 18 and that happens, you stand a very real chance of not living in a Western-style democracy for part or all of your life. Yes, it can happen here. I love that they call Trump a scaremonger. I love when they say, oh my gosh, he's talking about this, you know, the caravan, the invasion coming up out of the Honduras and through Mexico and he's scaring people. That is the, what Bill Maher just said there is the left. And I, you know, I always respect Bill Maher because he stands up for free speech, but he has been selling, he sold this with Romney. He sold it with George W. Bush. He even said himself when Trump was elected, when Trump was running, he said, you know, oh, we told you the other guys are Hitler, but this time it's really Hitler. It's not really Hitler. I mean, it's the idea that we have to defend our values. Under Obama, this, this milky, hazy idea that things were, were great as the world stood at one, the Care Bears foreign policy, things went terribly bad. And one of the things that happened and one of the things that I think Trump has seen was the Iran-Russia axis grew up. Russia, remember, took back the Ukraine. 
Iran went on developing nuclear weapons while Obama dealt, dealt with them and tried to arrange this nuclear deal, which didn't do anything. And China rose up as an economic power with the stated intention of replacing us as the economic center of the world, which would be fine if we were Macy's and they were Gimbel's. There's an old reference for you. But I mean, if we, if we were one store and they were another store and they said, we're going to beat out America, but that's not true. They are an oppressive, oppressive single state, single party state that spies on its people, that has an elaborate uh, method of spying on everybody. And we are still, still a free country. And so it makes a difference which one of us wins. And Trump has changed that. Trump has changed. You know, there was a story coming out. It came out November 2nd. Nobody covered it. Let's see if we can figure out why nobody really covered it. An absolute disaster took place for the CIA from between 2009 to 2013, okay? The U.S. intelligence community experienced crippling intelligence failures related to the secret internet-based communication system, a key means for remote messaging between CIA officers and their sources on the ground worldwide. This previously unreported global problem originated in Iran. So this was going on. Obama knew it was going on. Obama was president, and he was still dealing with Iran. And in China, it happened in China too, more than two dozen, they're saying somewhere around 30 of our spies, of our intelligence officers, were murdered, executed by China and Iran, uh, especially in China, as a result of this failure. Every corner of the national security bureaucracy, from multiple intelligence agencies, congressional intelligence committees, and independence contractors, to internal government watchdogs, was compromised forcing a slow-moving, complex government machine to grapple with the deadly dangers of emerging technologies. Reading that from the Times, I believe it is. And of course, who was, by, by the way, who was the Homeland Security Advisor during the whole time until he was later the CIA chief? It was John Brennan. This was happening under, under John Brennan. Have you noticed John Brennan has kind of shut up ever since they took his security clearance away? That actually worked. It was funny. It was, uh, you know, I'm not in favor of shutting people up, but, but there it is. You know, all he is saying is it didn't work. Obama's attitude didn't work. Of course it didn't work. You're not a citizen of the world. If you think you're a citizen of the world, walk into Mexico without going across the, the border crossing and see what happens. If you're a citizen of the world and you're a woman, go into Saudi Arabia and take off your clothes. You know, the women are, all the leftist women are saying, we're going to be naked and that's going to force people to vote. I don't know what that means, but that's what they're saying. Go ahead and try that in Saudi Arabia. See how that works. If you're a citizen of the world, you're not. You're a citizen of the United States of America. You're a citizen of the United States. All your ideas, all your remarks, all everything you have, everything you believe in, everything that makes you free comes, is generated by, protected by, created by this country. That's just true. It's just true. And you can't make it go away without losing all those things you have and all those things you love. And that is the ugly, ugly truth that Donald Trump seems to know in his gut, seems to know viscerally, and Obama didn't. And that's why, that's why as we come into this election, you know, it's just important to remember what it is Trump represents. And it's important to stop thinking so much about Trump's huge character and his huge character flaws. I know those both exist. He has a big, he's a big character and he has big character flaws. But we're talking about there are only two visions on the ballot. There are only two visions on the ballot. One of them is this kind of vague, weird vision that we can open our borders and everything will be fine, everything will be fine, that we can tolerate all, everything and everything will be fine. And the other is an idea that the American system 
of pluralism, of freedom, of individual liberty has to be defended. And you know, we see this inside our own country on the left. And this is something that really bothers me. I never thought I would see this again, the level of censorship and shutting down of free speech. You know, we have been living in a golden time of free speech. The Supreme Court, whatever you think of which justices did which, have been really, really strong on free speech. For the last, I don't know, let's call it 20, 25 years, you could say just about anything you wanted, just about anywhere you wanted. Uh, you know, some of it was unfortunate, the cursing and the, you know, uh, grotesqueness. And the, God, I was watching a comedian on uh, Facebook, I can't even remember his name, but on, on Netflix, I mean, I was watching a comedian just in the middle of it. I thought, this is grotesque. It's, this is not funny. And it's just like grotesquely and anatomical, but he's free to do it in ways that he wasn't before. That is being repealed, not by the government, not by the courts, but by big business. Corporations are beginning to shut down on free speech. You know, we can't have uh, Knowles on today. Usually on Monday, we have Knowles on as our cultural correspondent. We can't have him on today because we're, as you see, we're broadcasting from uh, bin Laden's cave. And we don't, even, we don't even have internet in here, so I can't live broadcast the beheadings. We were going to have, you know, we were going to kill Shapiro, but, you know, I, what's, what's the point if we can't uh, broadcast live? But, uh, but we can't have Knowles on, but we will talk about Knowles for a minute because Knowles was banned from Twitter. Uh, over the weekend for making a joke. He made this joke that's been, they've been making it on both sides. Everybody's making the joke. The joke is, oh, Democrats or the, whoever the opposition is, if you're a Democrat, it's Republicans, don't forget to vote on November 7th. So in other words, you're going to show up late and you won't get the vote. Ha, 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 ha. So it's a joke. Obvious joke. Everybody's saying it. A lot of people saying they banned Knowles for saying it, I guess, on the, on the idea that it's fake news. They banned him, I think, for three days. But let's face it. The point here is to shut down conservative speech. I mean, obviously, if any of us would ban Knowles' speech if we could just because it's Knowles, but they don't, Twitter is not acting in that way. They don't, they don't know it's Knowles. They, they are banning, they, look, they're banning Michael Knowles, but they're not banning Louis Farrakhan. You know, they, uh, Trump is reinstituting some of the Iran sanctions from the, that were taken away during Obama's ridiculous Oba, uh, Iran deal. So Louis Farrakhan is over in Iran, and according to I don't know how to pronounce this, Al Jemeiner, a Jewish community net newspaper based in the U.S. They reported on Farrakhan's visit as the Nation of Islam leader. He led a chant of death to America in Iran this weekend and death to Israel. And we know that he said that Jews are termites. They haven't banned Louis Farrakhan, but Knowles is the danger. Knowles is the danger. And remember, you know, Breitbart had this, uh, got an exclusive look at this internal Google briefing. It was called the good censor. This is really dangerous stuff. I mean, this is really dangerous stuff. But this, you know, what this means is that Democrats are the party of large corporations that want to silence individuals who speak up in dissent. You know, we're going to have to take a break in a minute. So let's pause just a minute to remember that tomorrow evening, election day, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, the Daily Wire Backstage Election Edition will be on the air. It is led by Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring. You know, I've noticed in this copy, we've started calling Jeremy God King Jeremy Boring. Jeremy is the God King of the Daily Wire. <laughs> okay. 
I think we, we should be clear about this. It's Daily Wire, God King, Jeremy Boring. Jeremy, by the way, would be the first to say this, although maybe he's lost it now. And, you know, we've lowered him down on the rope enough times. Maybe he thinks he can fly, but he's the Daily Wire God King, uh, not just the general everyday God King. That's a different God King altogether. Uh, but Ben, of course, will be there. Michael Knowles, Elisha Krauss, and myself. And we'll be covering all the latest election news as it happens. And we'll even be getting Twitter updates from our own Cassie Dillon and Colton Haas until they're banned, which should be, oh, about 20 seconds from now. So you won't want to miss this. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions, but everybody can watch. So make sure to subscribe today and get another kingdom and the leftist tears tumbler and all the way and, and the mailbag. All your problems. <laughs> this, this is the best deal on the Internet. Allows you 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks a year. Leftist Tears Tumblr, mailbag, all our shows. You get to ask us questions and you get another kingdom. Good, good heavens, man. And the most important thing is we get your money and we just want it so much more than you do. All right, come over to dailywire.com. If you're watching on Facebook and YouTube and while you're there, subscribe. All right, so this is a, a slightly old story, but I just want to bring it up in, in, in light of Knowles our own Michael Knowles, getting banned from Twitter for making a joke. The, the Breitbart got this Google briefing called the Good Censor, in which it acknowledged that major tech uh, platforms were initially promised free speech to consumers. And they said this free speech ideal was instilled in the DNA of the Silicon Valley startups that now control the majority of our online conversations, right? So they had the ideal. Why? because they were Americans, but then they've lost the ideal. Why? Because they got power. When you get power, suddenly it seems like free speech, and eh, not as good an idea as it was when you didn't have power, when you needed free speech to rise. So they say there is a two incompatible positions, the unmediated marketplace of ideas, free speech, versus well-ordered spaces for safety and civility. Well, well-ordered spaces for safety and civility are not the American way. America is allowed raucous, revolutionary country where we shout at each other and we yell at each other and then we make decisions. That is America. That is free speech. But now suddenly they are saying in Google, in this amazing memo, it's just an amazing thing. They said that's a, the product of the American tradition, which prioritizes free speech for democracy, not civility. But there's the European tradition, which favors dignity over liberty and civility over freedom. Of course, you can have more dignity and more civility with less freedom. Of course, you can. But who decides? Who decides the speech? And their answer is us, because we're big, we're powerful, we're strong. We have corporations. We're corporations. We should decide, right? That is the Democrat Party now. The Democrat Party is the party of powerful corporations that, and powerful universities that silence the speech of individuals, right? The American way is from the bottom up, right? And you know, the funny thing, the, the thing that gets me about this is all these people who say, look how happy Europe is. Europe is happy and they have social spending and they have civility. What the hell are they talking about? Europe is a moribund continent, a moribund culture that is living in our pocket. They can't defend themselves, we defend them. Their healthcare, as I talked about last week, we pay for their healthcare. We pay for their medications, and they still don't have as many medications because they don't have a free system. They have this system, this horrible, unwieldy system that we basically uh, pay for by paying for our medications at 180%. 
the top, 180% of what they pay for their medications so we can have R&D, so we can have research and development. Everything they are, everything they are exists because we keep them alive. And even with that, they're going under. They are going under. They're falling apart. You know, that is not, we do not want it. It's, it's, like, it's like saying to a young man, you know, you should emulate those old people over there. See how they're dying, but they're at peace. They don't fight anymore. You know, young men are full of energy. They're full of, you know, ideas. They're, they fight. They're, you know, angry. They have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, spirit. And they, it's like saying to them, yeah, you should act like those old men. They're more peaceful. They have more dignity. Well, no, this is a country that is alive and is free it doesn't need corporations telling us who to silence. And listen, we'll silence Michael Knowles. We're going to take him out in the parking lot and just kick him around. We do that every couple of days. Just for, it's just for fun, really. But if it also silences him, that's fine. But for Twitter, this major corporation, that's all it is. It is not like some woke, happy place. It's just a big, big corporation that's there to allow everybody to speak, just like the phone company. That's the deal on which they operate. They should not be censoring Michael Knowles. Again, we've talked about this before. The Daily Wire God King, uh, Jeremy Boring, made this point. It is not just the free market. It's not just a free company that can do anything it wants. It runs under the rules of a platform like the phone company. If the phone company started silencing Knowles or anybody else because they didn't like his opinions or they didn't like the way he talked or they determined that his joke was fake news, we would have something to say about it. That's the way that Twitter and Facebook and Google should be treated as well. And you can listen to these people with their arrogance. You can listen to them reveling in their censorship. Uh, Brian Stelter on CNN talking about the way that they treated Trump. CNN refused to run his ad in which uh, that showed that murderer uh, who had got, come back in, in and out of the country. They refused, they knew it was powerful, so they refused to run it, calling it racism, right? NBC said they would run it, and then they said, no, they got some, they got some flack. So they said, they're not going to run it. Nobody wants to give Trump and the Republicans this ad. But listen to Brian Seltzer bragging about this. And we're seeing bluntness on the part of reporters yes. saying the word lie, or, yes. or this week saying the word racist. I mean, we're not gonna actually play that ad, the racist ad that was posted by the Trump campaign, but we'll show some of the video just to remind you what we're talking about. Frankly, I think CNN probably showed this too much this week, uh, but the, 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 it is notable that when uh, the campaign tried to buy airtime from CNN to buy this ad, CNN said no, said uh, this is a racist ad. It's not going to be sold. Uh, we're not going to sell you the airtime. Describing it as racist, David, that was significant. That was significant. See, we've, now we're being blunt. We're being blunt. No, they're not. They're being biased. It's them saying it's racist, and they set the rules of what racism is. It is not blunt. It is dishonest. It is not blunt. It is censorship. It's all censorship. Once they set the, the rules are, we remember, dog whistles, right? The dog whistles. Dog whistles are anything a conservative says that a liberal can twist to make it sound racist. That is what a dog whistle is. And so Brian Stelter is bragging as they always brag, oh, the civility, we've got civility. No, they haven't. They're just major corporations, big money corporations, silencing individual dissent. Big corporations always love big government. They always complain because of the regulations. They, oh, the red tape, the red tape. But who can deal with the red tape, right? Who has the armies of lawyers? Who can afford the armies of lawyers to deal with the red tape? Big corporations. Who can afford it? Small businesses. That's why small businesses have started voting Republican. That's why small businessmen say, yeah, I, I like this guy, Donald Trump, because he's cutting the regulations away so I can compete. 
Every time, every time a new social media company comes out, Twitter or Google or Facebook, they take it over. They destroy it. Of course they do. That's the way big corporations work. They crush the little guy. It is only when freedom reigns, it's only when everybody can say what they want to say and do what they want to do that the little guy can rise. And that's true of individuals. It's true of companies as well. All you're seeing is strutting around, oh, we're against racism. All you're seeing is moneyed interests protecting themselves. That's all it is. That's all it is. Silence and lies. And this is the other thing. They protect the lie. You know, this, this Brett Kavanaugh, people are saying now that maybe this Brett Kavanaugh thing, which uh, was a, a boon, I think, for Republicans and closed the gap between Republicans and Democrats. They're saying it may have happened too early. It may have peaked uh, too soon. That's why a lot of people were saying, oh, this bomber who sent uh, bombs around to all the Democrats, maybe this was a false flag operation. Uh, you know, an October surprise engineered by the Democrats. Well, if it was, there's certainly no evidence of it. I have no evidence of it. But it certainly did work in this way to kind of mute the horror people felt about the way Brett Kavanaugh was treated, right? And now, I don't know if you uh, heard about this, but the Democrats, the uh, Republicans, uh, Chairman Chuck Grassley uh, has referred yet another woman, this is the second woman, to the Justice Department uh, for lying about Brett Kavanaugh. This is a woman named Judy Monroe Layton, and he has referred her case. Remember, uh, there was the other one uh, that he referred, I guess it was um, uh, Julie Swetnick, right? That was the Michael Avenatti one with the people lining up and the spiked punch, and it all turned out to be ridiculous. He referred that to the Justice Department. This is a woman who said that uh, Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted and raped her in his car. And in a letter to the FBI and General Gen Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Grassley says that under questioning from judiciary staff, Ms. Monroe Layton conceded she made the false accusations because she just wanted to get attention and she was angry and sent it out. So this comes after this. Now, this is horrible stuff in so many ways, and I really affected women. I think it really affected even some of the suburban housewives who were said to be Trump's worst enemies when they started to think, hey, you know, that could be my son, that could be my husband, that could be my brother. You know, feminists have wanted to sell this routine that men are oppressing women. But in fact, men and women have been getting along together since time began, or there wouldn't be any men and women. That is how, that's the proof that we know that men and women get along in some, at some level because there are men and women. There would not be any men and women if men and women weren't getting along. And we love each other. Most of us love each other. Most of us, the central relationship in our life is a relationship with someone of the opposite sex who matters a tremendous amount to us. And we look at them and we think they're crazy. I'm sure my wife thinks some of the stuff I say is hard-boiled and too mean and all this stuff. And I look at her and think, oh, she's too emotional. But we love each other. And that's, that is how we expand our minds. And we become this yin-yang system where we see the world in three dimensions. That's the real world. That's the real world. The real world is not men trying to stomp on women and women suffering every day, everywhere, all the time. That is not the real world. The real world is that most people have relationships in their lives with the opposite sex of love and care and concern. And so when you have these people who lie and you have people in the streets saying, believe all women, you know, the stupidest slogan ever invented maybe, when you have them doing that, it's a threat to everybody. But it's also another kind of threat. The other kind of threat it is, is a threat to women who have been abused. We know women get abused. We know there are men who abuse women. Everything in our society stands against this. Everything in the hearts of good men. I mean, what's the most common fantasy outside of sexual fantasies, putting that away, outside of sexual fantasies, I, I would bet you, I would bet cash money anytime 
that the most common fantasy that men have is rescuing women from danger. That is the most common fantasy. We want women to like us. We want to be brave for them. We want to rescue them. We want to stand up for them and protect them. That is what is in men's hearts all the time. So we don't want women to be abused, but how are we going to tell the difference between a woman who comes forward and says, hey, I was attacked, and a woman who comes forward and says, hey, I was attacked, no, I'm lying, right? If, if, if the woman who's telling the truth is surrounded by liars, how do we pick her out? If we're going to believe all women, how do we know to believe the woman who's actually telling the truth? It is a disaster. What they did to Kavanaugh was a disaster, but it does illustrate this, this principle that they're not standing for women any more than they're standing for black people or gay people, or any of the other identity groups that they've created and that they've created in order to turn us against each other, they're not standing for them. They're standing for leftism. How do you know? Because when it's a leftist who's doing the violating, they don't stand up at all. Wonderful piece of tape by Jake Tapper. Sometimes I kick Jake Tapper around, but I think that, I think Tapper is at least trying to be a good journalist. You know, I I sometimes watch um, uh, Wallace, Chris Wallace on Fox, and he's mean to everybody. He beats up on everybody. And, he, and sometimes I don't like the way he asks questions because he doesn't let people finish what they're trying to say. But I understand that people can stonewall by just talking and talking and they can filibuster. But, but he goes after everybody equally. And so when he goes after people I like, I, I tolerate it because he also, I know he goes after people I don't like as well. When Tapper is fair, he's very good. He, here he is asking Tom Perez, the head, chairman of the DNC, about the fact that Keith Ellison, who is, num- who is number two, has been accused of abusing his girlfriend, and these accusations, which have come with corroboration, have been largely ignored. What do you say to women in the Democratic Party who say, why is this guy still the vice chair of the DNC? What I say is that we should always take those complaints uh, seriously, and we do, and that's why an investigation was conducted. That's why Congressman Ellison asked for a health ethics investigation. And Democrats have never hesitated to take action, unlike Republicans. And you know what? Part of why we are going to do wait, so wait well a on Tuesday Democrats have never hesitated have to take action? Do you mean like in the last year, or do you mean yeah, historically? Yeah. Because well, historically, I could, well, I could look, go through a list well, again, of people. Well, and, and, and uh, again, you saw what happened in Senator Franken's situation. Democrats didn't hesitate to do something, even if it was difficult because that was the right thing to okay, do. Okay, so you mean just so like Jake, in the last year. You're not talking about Ted Kennedy or President Bill Clinton or, I mean, I'm, I'm I only have a couple minutes left. I've, <laughs> I only have a couple minutes left. I can't talk about all the people you protected over the years. You know, it, it really is true. There wouldn't be a Me Too movement if Hillary Clinton had won because they'd still be covering up for Bill. The press would still be covering up for Bill. Harvey Weinstein would still be making terrific movies. He would still be making good movies and chasing women around the room and raping and attacking them if if Hillary Clinton had won because the press, Brian Stelter and all the rest of them would still be covering up for Bill because they would not want their person to get attacked. They are The only reason this Me Too movement started is another one of their famous submarines that they aimed at the Republicans but turned around and blew up their own ship. The only reason it started is because they thought they could get to Trump because Trump made that remark about grabbing women and they thought, oh boy, and you know, he's obviously a billionaire playboy. He's done all the things with all the girls. They thought, oh boy, we can get him now. And it blew up in their face. But that's how you know, that's how you know that they are not defending, they're not defending civility. They're defending leftism. They're not defending gays. 
leftism. They're not defending women, leftism. They're not defending blacks. It's all about the leftism. And leftism is all about getting power to build the world as you think it should be instead of as the people think it should be and silencing those individual voices that America was built to protect. It is hard for me to say this, that America was built to protect the individual voice, even of a Michael Knowles, but even of a Michael Knowles, it was built to protect his voice. And that means you got to let a lot of people speak you don't like, that I don't like, that everybody doesn't like. The people who are really bad people have to be allowed to speak because who decides? Who decides? It's always, is it going to be, is it going to be the individual guy on the street who gets to decide? No, it's always going to be, if somebody is silenced, he's always going to be silenced by the powerful. Always, always. So if you silence, even if you silence a Nazi who none of us like, likes, even if you silence, you know, the, the bad guys, it's always going to be the powerful silencing the weak, right? The weak can't silence the powerful. It's always going to be big corporations like Twitter and Google and Facebook who silence the little guy. And that's why you don't do it. So let's close out this talk about this election that we don't know about. We'll know more tomorrow, obviously, as the evening wears on. But let's take a look at what Trump has to say about the election and what Obama has to say about it. This, since we started out by saying this is about two, a tale of two presidents, about Trump and Obama, let's listen to them both. Let's, let's listen to Obama first, all right? In 2010, they said that Bill and I, we were setting up death panels to kill your grandma. Remember that? In 2014, they said, Ebola's gonna kill all of us. Shut the borders. In 2016, it was Hillary's emails. They were all wound up about that. And the mainstream press picked up on it. This is terrible. This is a breach of skirt. You know they don't care about that because if they did, they'd be worrying about the current president talking on his cell phone while the Chinese are listening in. They didn't care about it. They said it to get folks angry and ginned up. Now in 2018, they're telling you the, the existential threat to America is a bunch of poor refugees a thousand miles away. Well, except now they're 800 miles away, so they're getting closer every day. And, uh, you know, it is a lot of people to just let come crashing through the border, as Obama did. So he thought the death panels were just a joke. But in fact, that was true in Obamacare. They did have panels that would decide. Of course they do. Once the government is controlling health care, at some point they have to say, we can't afford this, and they close you down. You're old. You're done. Sorry. Bang. See you later. They did have death panels. Ebola was and continues to be a threat. That was a dangerous thing. And, uh, of course, the immigrants coming in, the immigrants coming in, you know, look, I don't think this is like, oh, my gosh, all these immigrants are going to come over and take over the country. Nobody's saying that. But what the hell? The rule of law does matter. And of course, Hillary's emails, if you and I had done it, we'd be in jail. So here's what Trump thinks is going on. I think we're going to do well in the House. I think we're going to do really well in the Senate. And there is something going on out there. And I think you know what I mean. There's, there's something going on. There's something, that, there's something that's very interesting that's happening. The level, the level of fervor, the level of fever is very strong on the Republican side. So I can't speak to the blue, but I can speak to the red. There's a lot of energy out there. They want to see border security. They don't want people pouring into our country. They don't want open borders. They don't want to pay for other people's health care. Uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm on the Republican side. I haven't seen it, really. 
I haven't seen it really since our big election victory in 16. So he thinks the same thing is going to happen. It would be a big surprise. Listen, if it's a surprise, it's, a, it's going to be a surprise. We just don't know, but we're going to find out. And it's all up to you, so get out there and vote. Let's look at our crappy culture. You probably saw this, but it's it's worth looking at. Saturday Night Live, uh, this guy, Pete Davidson, uh, he's he's been in the news because he broke up with that singer. What's, what's her name? Ariana? Shout it out. Ariana Grande. Yeah, thank you. Ariana Grande. That's, uh, uh, so <laughs> I remember the, the kids loved her. I remember when I was working on a hotline with young kids, who they just loved Ariana Grande, but apparently she didn't love Pete Davidson. They were engaged and he, she broke it off. He was on the news segment, their, their headline news segment. I don't watch the show anymore because I think it is absolutely unfunny. I mean, I just think it's one unfunny skit after another. But he was doing this kind of childish thing where he was, uh, you know, it, it could have been funny. He was making fun of the way Republicans look. He was just characterizing their looks. He had one Democrat in there, Andrew Cuomo, but mostly it was attacking, which he said, I put in there so you think I'm fair. Uh, but mostly as everything on Saturday Night Live, uh, he was attacking Democrats, and he hit Dan Crenshaw, who lost an eye to an IED blast, and this was his take on him. This guy's kind of cool, uh, Dan Crenshaw. Uh, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, you may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I know he lost his eye in, in war or whatever. <laughs> Whatever, whatever, yeah. So everybody's very upset about this, including some of the left because they know it makes them look so bad. Uh, Crenshaw was on his third deployment uh, when he uh, an IED went off, uh, took out his eye, and they told him he'd never see again. He went, He not only could he uh, see again after an induced, he was in a medically induced coma. Uh, his right eye was destroyed. His left eye was still present but badly damaged. He somehow got the sight in his left eye, went back, and went back. He was uh, deployed yet again several times. Now, I want to mention also that uh, Pete Davidson's father was a firefighter uh, who uh, died running into one of the World Trade Center buildings on 9-11, and that apparently traumatized Davidson. Uh, And, you know, like, I I don't want to spend my time being outraged by comedians. You know, it's it's fine. The, The point to me about this was what Dan Crenshaw said. That was the most the most important thing to come out of this. Look, Pete Davidson has to live with himself. And by the way, I, I do want to mention one thing. They used to have a rule on Saturday Night Live that you weren't allowed to laugh at your own jokes. That was the old, old, old. And Milton Berle, one of the first comedians in TV, one of the, when TV was just invented, Milton Berle used to, and he would crack up at his own jokes to get the audience to laugh along with him. He wasn't really cracking up. He was pretending that he was just so funny he couldn't keep it together. And you weren't allowed to do that on Saturday Night Live. Uh, because they thought it was cheap. They, and when they had Milton Berle on, they were furious at him. <laughs> he wouldn't stop doing it because he'd been doing it all his life. And th- this guy, Pete Davidson, he's laughing at his own jokes. He's not that funny. He's kind of squirrely, I thought. He's kind of a weird little guy. Anyway, the most important part of the story to me is what Dan Crenshaw himself said. I want us to get away from this culture where we demand apologies every time someone misspeaks. I think that would be very healthy for our nation to, to go in that direction. Uh, you know, we don't need to be we don't need to be outwardly outraged. I don't need to demand apologies from them. They can do whatever they want. Um, you know, it's uh, they're feeling the heat from around the country right now. And that's that's fine. But I would 
like him and Saturday Night Live to recognize something, which is that veterans across the country probably don't feel as though their wounds they received in battle should be the subject of a bad punchline for a bad joke. And, it, and here's the real atrocity of all this. It wasn't even funny, right? It was not original. It was not funny. It was just mean spirited. And that's that that's how I feel about it. Well, absolutely accurate. But the most important thing he said there is we got to get away from this politics of outrage. You know, I, I think it's, it's a good thing to say, to, to speak up. We don't have to, like, excoriate the guy. We don't have to demand he's be fired or apologize. I don't want to hear his apology. We, we just should say, you know, hey, not funny. And this guy, you know, this, this guy, Crenshaw, who's running for Congress in Texas, this guy did something so much more important than anything that Pete Davidson did. And, it, you know, Pete Davidson, so did Pete Davidson's father. Uh, and uh, he, should, he should maybe think about that. Maybe think about his dad. Maybe think about what people do for this country. It makes it possible for him to go on TV and say the things he says. It's just something he should do in his conscience. He doesn't have to be hanged or fired or anything else. And in the same, in the same spirit, Michael Moll should be put back on Twitter. I know, I don't want to hear from him either, but he should be allowed. All right, tomorrow, election day, please get out and vote. But that shouldn't stop you from being here where all the action is at the Daily Wire, first me, and then, of course, backstage where we'll watch the elections live. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.